It's good to see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church. We're glad that you're here. My name is Josh Surratt, if I haven't met you. Uh, serve as a lead pastor here at the church and just excited about what God's going to do uh, in us and through us this weekend. Um, want to welcome all of you who are joining us at one of our campuses. Uh, maybe you're joining us at Greenville or Columbia, uh, Irmo, wherever you happen to be, we're glad that you are with us as well. Or if you're joining us online, uh, excited to have you too. I was in Nashville, Tennessee this week. Pastor Greg kind of referenced uh, the fact that he was going to meet with Dave Ramsey. Well, he ended up getting sick, so he sent me, get, got to connect with Dave Ramsey this week, and i um, excited about that. He's going to be coming to the church in the fall. Uh, we're going to do a series. It's going to be really cool. But I was going home at the Nashville airport, and I met Dorothy. She came up and was like, hey, sorry to bother you, but uh, I, I live in Nashville, and uh, my sister told me about your church, and I watch every single week online. And I just think it's so cool that we're part of a church that's you know, spread out all across the globe. So if you're watching on the internet, uh, Dorothy, we're glad that you're here as well, and um, just looking forward to it. Hey, one other thing, if you've been coming to Seacoast very long, you know that we plant churches. That's part of what we do. We love to plant new churches. We think there should be life-giving churches in every city and the country and uh, eventually around the world. And so this weekend, we're planting one more life-giving church in Orlando, Florida. It's City Place Church in Orlando, Florida, Damon and Taisha Moore. And it's funny, I was doing this during the last service, and I thought, man, I don't get excited about one church plant. You know, normally we have like four or five. I'm like, that's just weird that we're in a church where it's just normal every weekend to be planting new churches. So I think we should give it up for the one church that we're planting in Orlando, Florida. <clears throat> so if you go to Disney World this summer, you now know where you can go to church uh, in that city. Hey, as we get started, question for you. Have, how many of you would just be honest and say, uh, that, that you can say yes to this. Have you, you remember a time where you made a, a bad decision under pressure? Anybody remember that? Yeah, a lot of hands going up. Man, Somerville, they're up like crazy uh, in there. Most of us have. We've bought something or we've said something or we, we reacted in some way under pressure that uh, we realized, man, that was not my best move. When I think about pressure situations, high pressure, I think about like a job interview. I mean, nothing says high pressure like going in for a job interview, especially if you've been out of work and, you know, you, you need the income, your family's depending on it, you go in, it's just filled with pressure. Uh, several years ago, I was working, I was waiting tables at a restaurant on the Isle of Palms, uh, which was awesome during the summertime, um, but uh, during the wintertime, not so good. Like, they got a little slow. I remember one rainy night during the winter, I made $4 in four hours, so that's a dollar an hour. You know, I, I got to get another job, and so Outback Steakhouse came to town, to Mount Pleasant, and so my girlfriend at the time, Lisa, who's now my wife, we both decided, hey, let's apply there. Let's get a job there. So we interviewed for a job there. And I was talking to my boss at the Isle of Palms restaurant just about what he's looking for in a good employee and you know, what, what he's looking for when he interviews people. He didn't know I was interviewing somewhere else, but I was just getting some advice. And I remember he told me, he said, Josh, one thing that I'll never do is I'll never hire somebody who's dating somebody else on my staff or related to somebody else on my staff. Yeah, obviously, that's something we've taken to heart here at Seacoast. We never <laughs> would hire somebody It's related. If you're new to Seacoast, there's a handful of us with the last name Surratt on the team. But anyways, so, so he says that, and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I kind of filed it away. <coughs> and then um, I'm, I'm interviewing for this job at Outback, and I got through the first two interviews. I'm in the third one now, and it's with the head honcho. Uh, the, the owner, proprietor, his name was Rob. He's, he, he had all the decision-making power. And so high pressure, I was nervous, and uh, we're, we're going through this interview. It's going okay. And then he asked me this question out of the blue. He says, Josh, so are you dating anybody or, or related to anybody else who's applying for a job here? 
Uh, and I, I, I just froze. I was like, well, uh, uh, and so I did my best Peter impersonation. I'm like, I don't know her. I, I don't know the lady. <coughs> I just, I lied to him, just lied to him. No, no, not at all. Not, not dating anybody. Just, you know, um, I'm thinking, how does that play out well if he hires me and her? But anyway, so two days later, Lisa goes in for her interview and he asks her the same question. And Stinking integrity. She tells the truth. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm dating a guy named Josh, you know. And, and so I get a phone call from Rob. Hey, uh, Josh, there's this girl, Lisa Barr, who says she's dating you. I'm like, ah, oh, stalker. I'm telling you, she's, <laughs> be careful with her. No, I, I, came, I came clean. I said, dude, I'm so sorry. I, I, I lied to you, and this is why. And thankfully, um, he had grace on me, and, and I ended up getting the girl and the job, and it worked out. In the end, but, but I, I crumbled under pressure, just did something stupid, you know, uh, to, told a lie under pressure. And uh, we all deal with, with high-pressure situations, you know. I, I can think of times where I had to take an exam and pass or fail for the entire class was on the line for that one test. And it's like, man, so much pressure going into that. And I, I don't know about you, where are you facing pressure this weekend? Some of us are facing financial pressure, maybe pressure at your job, your place of employment. Most of us, you know, feel pressure to provide or to, you know, be a great parent if you have kids or just to measure up with, with your neighbors, you know, at least what they're putting out on Instagram, right? We, we, we try to compare our kind of normal everyday life with other people's highlight reels and it just creates this pressure in our lives. And if you study uh, studies about this issue, they would say that today in our culture, even the teenagers of this generation are facing more pressure than ever before. You know, there's peer pressure, there's pressure from their family, pressure to get into school, and you know, there's more people right now taking medication for anxiety and stress-related stuff. It's just a lot of pressure in our culture right now. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. I want to talk about how do we deal with pressure. Uh, a couple things I know about pressure. We all face pressure in life. You, you, nobody's exempt from that. You can't get a pass on it. Most people don't like pressure-packed decisions. You know, most people don't want the ball when the, the, the clock's counting down to zero, unless your name's Stephen Curry, which, by the way, last night, just amazing. Uh, dude, most of us don't want, the, want, don't want the ball. You know, we don't like pressure-packed decisions. But the choices that we make under pressure can either make things worse for us or they can establish our leadership for future opportunities. Uh, we're in a series right now called Daniel, uh, when faith and culture collide. And uh, we're studying a book in the Old Testament uh, by the name of Daniel, and, and it's about a guy and some of his friends that, that they lived in, a, in a, a culture that literally was at odds with their values. They, they had been, uh, they were Jewish guys, they were exiled into Babylon. And if you remember the story last week, uh, Greg kind of kicked it off for us. They, they were recruited into the king's court, and they were basically in a three-year brainwashing program where they were being trained and, and, and renamed, their, their names were changed, and just they were basically brainwashing them to be future leaders in this culture. But Daniel and his friends found a way to, to stand up for what they believed in, to stand out. The Bible said they were 10 times better than, than anybody else, and they managed to not only survive in this culture where there was all this pressure to conform, but they actually ended up influencing the culture in some major, major ways. So I want to study chapter 2 this week. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up. That's where we're going to be for pretty much uh, the entire time that we're together. 
And if, if there's ever been a situation where there's been more pressure on somebody than there was on Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, then I don't know of it. I mean, just an incredibly high-pressure chapter. And I want to look at it and see what, what we can learn about, um, about handling pressure in a godly way, responding to the things that are weighing us down in, in a godly way. So context for you. Uh, there's a king, King Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about him some last week. He, he wakes up one morning, and he had had just a terrible dream. And it was the kind of dream that he, he woke up uh, just stressed out. You know, it, 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 it bothered him. He couldn't remember what the dream was exactly, but it rattled him. And he had no peace. And I don't know if you've ever had a dream like that, but where you just, he, and he was desperate to figure out what was that about. He knew that it meant something big. And so he goes to his advisory board, his wise people, the astrologers, and every king would have kind of a group of advisors around him. And he tells them, hey, I had this dream. I need your help. I need you to tell me what the dream meant, but, but I also need you to, you need to tell me what was the dream that I had. I don't remember what the dream was. And now, I mean, I don't know, other than my wife, I don't know if any reasonable person would expect you to know what they're thinking and interpret it, you know, and have an answer for it. The women are quiet. I'm just joking. Uh, but, but if you can imagine, just a crazy situation. So he comes to these guys and says, I need you to tell me what I dreamed and what it means. And so these guys go, I, I can't do that. I mean, what, what are you talking about? And, and here's what he says, Daniel chapter 2, verse 5. It says, the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. And let me tell you, Nebuchadnezzar is not a guy who's all talk. He was actually going to follow through on this. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. Talk about high stakes. Get it right, you're going to be promoted. I'm going I'm to lavish gifts on you, get it wrong, and you're going to die. I'm going I'm to tear your houses down. And so these guys they just tell him, I mean, what you're asking for is unreasonable. No human being can do that. That's impossible. The only person who could do that would be a God, and, and we aren't gods. Gods don't live here, and, and they give him a, a reasonable answer. But here's what Nebuchadnezzar said. The king was furious when he heard about this, or when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. See, we read last week how Daniel had been promoted to become one of the wise men of the king's court. And now because of that promotion, he's in the line of fire and he's going to die because of this crazy situation going on with the king. So what did he do? How does a godly leader respond to pressure? <coughs> Look at the, the first point I think we can learn from, from the story is if I'm going to respond to pressure in a godly way, I've got to be willing to keep my cool when the pressure gets hot. Keep my cool when the pressure gets hot. How many would say, man, that's my default reaction? I mean, most of us know. I mean, you get into a pressure situation and, and <clears throat> what do you mean keep your cool when the pressure gets hot? Look what Daniel did. It says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, aka the executioner, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. With wisdom and tact. You may want to circle that phrase, wisdom intact. I, I want you to imagine that your doorbell rings and a guy's at the door and he's under the authority of the local 
governing officials, even the president of the United States has given him instructions to come and kill you. Uh, And maybe I'm the immature one of the bunch, but I can promise you if they retell the story of my reaction, it's probably not going to be words like wisdom and tact. It's going to be words like freaking out, you know, running, flailing, do whatever I have to do to survive. But Daniel handles this situation with discretion, with wisdom and tact. And, and, and he calmly asks the guy a question. He says, Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? And so Arioch told him all that had happened. See, obviously Daniel asked him this question in a tone that caused this guy to, to respond favorably, to extend the conversation, to give him a little bit more information. The Bible says that he used tact. This portion of the Bible is written in Aramaic, and the, the root of that word tact, the word that's translated attacked, literally means to taste, to form an opinion of something based on its flavor, based on its flavor, to taste or form an opinion of something based on its flavor. If you think about the different ways that Daniel could have asked that question, that Daniel could have responded, apparently the way that he did it, the tone in which he talked, that Arioch responded favorably to it. He was like, man, this, this guy, it, it landed well on him. Would you agree that as Christians, we could all use an extra dose of of tact? Especially, I mean, if you think about it, we live in a culture that is increasingly uh, in disagreement with what we believe the Bible to to say to be true. And and there are times that we're going to have to take a stand on certain issues. We're going to have to, you know, not go with the flow. But if we're going to have a relevant voice in this culture, we're going to have to learn to do that with wisdom and tact. And, and, and honestly, I get a little concerned because in our culture, it feels like the, the loudest voices are the most heard. And we feel like we have to kind of, tact would not be necessarily what you would describe, you know, some of our leaders using. And, and, and we, we have to learn how as believers to, to be wise and, and to have tact. And I told you that I worked in the restaurant industry. And just to be honest with you, word on the street about Christians in the restaurant industry is not wisdom and tact. It's rude and lousy tippers. Basically, what, I mean, when I used to work, they would argue over who, who didn't have to work on Sundays because of the, the kinds of people that would come in. And, and it's easy for me to throw rocks, you know, at Christians and be like, man, we ought to do better than that. But let's be honest. I mean, I don't always respond with wisdom intact. That's not always what is, is my first reaction. In fact, I, I got a haircut recently. And uh, y'all need to pray for me because the guy that's cut my hair for the last seven years of my life, he moved to Ohio. Who moves to Ohio? They move here. You know, but he, he moved to Ohio. <coughs> and, um, and so I've been trying to figure out what to do. And so I went in and I got my hair cut. And, and the lady that was cutting my hair that day, she was just having a bad day, okay? We all are allowed to have a bad day from time to time, just not when you're cutting my hair. And, and, and so calls my name and I go and I sit down and literally didn't even like ask me a question, didn't say anything to me. She just grabbed a water bottle, started spraying me down and, and just starts going to town on my hair. And I'm like, what if I wanted extensions? Like, you didn't even ask me what I, what I wanted. Like, and she's like half paying attention to me, and she's having a conversation with a coworker about another coworker. And I mean, I promise you, she was doing like no-look haircutting, like not even paying attention. And I'm just, I'm freaking out. And so I calmly, I said, uh, ma'am, uh, the guy that used to cut my hair, uh, he would use clippers kind of on the side. And, you know, and she was like, good, good for him. She kept on going. Like, and so, like, I am just fuming. I'm getting mad on the inside. And, you know, God's given me the gift to communicate. And sometimes that expresses itself in sarcastic, witty statements to kind of tear people down. And so I have to kind of watch that. That's not a gift. That's a curse uh, side of it. And so I was getting ready to let her have it. I was just mad. 
And, and I felt like the Lord said to me, hey, is what's getting ready to come out of your mouth full of wisdom and tact? Oh, no. And because of the grace of God and the fact that she had scissors in her hand, I didn't say anything. <laughs> but, but we all struggle, you know, to have wisdom and, and tact. If we're going to engage in a culture that's at odds with our faith, if we're going to handle ourselves, because guess what? When the pressure rises on us, that's when people are paying attention to how we respond, to how we act, especially in this culture. We got to do it, not only say the right things, but say it with, with the right tone. Paul said it this way in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. He said, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. That's the wisdom piece. And then verse 6, he says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. That's the tact piece. You know, uh, that's not necessarily what's modeled to us. That's not necessarily what's celebrated. And, and you know, we just got to be careful as believers that we don't adhere to the same values and principles that the world is. Because if we're going to make a difference in this culture, we've got to have wisdom intact. So, so we got to keep our cool under pressure. Second thing I think we can learn is we have to trust God with the source of my pressure. Trust God with the source of my pressure. You know, getting deeper than even trusting with the, with the pressure. You know, a lot of times we blame uh, my, my work, my stress, but a lot of times there's stuff going on underneath, the source of our pressure. You know, last weekend, uh, Dad talked about the idea of throwing your hat over the wall. You know, Daniel, they, they had this moment where they had to throw your hat over the wall. If you missed the message, you need to go back and, and listen to it. It was a great kickoff to the series. But basically what he's saying is there are these times in our life where we have to go all in with our faith. Go, God, I'm trusting you here. I, I, you know, I don't know any other way but to trust you in this moment. And that's what Daniel does here. If you look at the next passage, verse 16, it says, Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Basically saying, God, I'm doing it again. I'm, I'm throwing my hat over the wall. I have no idea how to do this. This is impossible. Only you could interpret a dream, tell a person what he's dreaming about, but I'm... He goes to the king and he says, give me a couple days and, and we'll do it. So I'm, I'm throwing my hat over the wall again. And then in verse 27, he gets in front of the king and he tells the king, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God. But there is a God. You may want to circle that phrase, but there is a God. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. You may be at the end of your rope. You may be beyond your ability to fix whatever mess that you're in, but there is a God. If you want to know what stood Daniel out from anybody else, it's those five words. To his core, he trusted that there is a God who could come through. And he tells the king, but there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he's shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions that you saw as you lay on your bed. But there is a God. What a great way to sum up Daniel's life. See, for most of us, we think about Daniel, you think about the lion's den, and you go, man, how could a guy pray and take a stand for his faith, even at the risk of being thrown into a den of, of lions that would tear him apart? But what we fail to remember is that that wasn't a one-time decision for him. See, he had a lifestyle of coming up into these moments and going, I'm throwing my hat over the wall. He did it in chapter one. He does it again here. And by the time he gets to chapter six in the lion's den, he knows. He is so confident. He's, he's, he's developed a habit of trusting God in these pressure moments of his life. 
You know, faith isn't just a prayer that you pray one time to secure your, your eternal salvation. Faith is something that we have to live out every single day. And in these moments in our workplace or in our marriage or in relationships where we're dealing with pressure going, you know what, I'm going to trust, but there is a God. And some days that's all you've got to go on is, but there is a God. And I can tell you that I've got friends, testimonies of people who just go, man, but there is a God. That's what got me through years of financial trouble. But there is a God. We've got to be willing to trust God with the source of our pressure. So third thing I think we can learn, if we're going to handle pressure in a godly way, include my tribe throughout the process. Include my tribe throughout the process. Do you ever get under pressure and you want to isolate? You kind of want to get alone? I think a lot of us do. Maybe you're embarrassed that to even tell somebody uh, what, what you're stressing about or that something's bothering you in the way that it is. Or sometimes we just think, man, my problems aren't big enough to, to really include anybody else in. Daniel didn't experience the pressure of this moment alone. He immediately went to his friends. Look at verse 17 and 18. It says, Daniel went home, told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which by the way, that's the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He told them what had happened. In verse 18, he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. See, he immediately went to his tribe. He said, guys, we have got to pray. The stakes are high. The pressure is high. We've got to pray. The task at hand is going to require that everybody get involved. And it's a pretty good principle, you know, when the stakes get high, to bow down low, to pray, to get on your knees, to, to beg God to show up. Priscilla Shire did an event here uh, this week, and one of the things she talks about is prayer is the number one weapon that we have in our arsenal against the enemy. We've got to be willing to use it, not only on our own, but to, to pull people together and go, hey, I need y'all to pray. Get involved. Where are you experiencing pressure in your life? Maybe you have a big presentation coming up at work, maybe a big decision to make about your family or a relationship. Don't do it alone. Bring some people in. Man, I'm telling you, I think maybe it's because I'm preaching on it this week that I just notice it, but this week probably got 10 or 12 different texts or emails from different people saying, hey, I need you to pray for this. Hey, can you do this? A friend of mine in, in Pakistan uh, dealing with the situation, can you, can you pray for this? Sending group texts out, and I love that. It's people going, hey, I'm gonna get my tribe involved. Yeah, anytime I, I speak on the weekend, I, I pull a group of people together. I need you to pray for me this week. I'm gonna be, pre be preparing. I don't wanna do it on my own. Don't, don't be afraid to reach out, to ask people to pray. Because here's what's cool is when you're involved in the prayer and the, the pressure-packed moments, you get to be a part of the reward as well. Look what happened at the end. After Daniel interprets the stream, the king promotes him. It says the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. But that's not all. It says, moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. And that's the principle. Maybe some of you, you're in a place where God's answered your prayers. He's brought you up a level. He's given you favor. And you need to look around you and go, who do I need to pull with me? Daniel looked around and said, hey, I want to bring these guys with me. And, and when you're involved in the prayer part, you get to be involved in the reward part as well. I don't know if you've ever begged God to show up on behalf of a friend. If you've ever just pleaded with God for a miracle, I'm telling you, Lisa and I have a friend, a couple of friends who, man, they've struggled with infertility 
uh, since they got married. It's been years and years and years, and we've begged God, and we've cried out to God, and we've prayed with them, we've, we've hoped, and we've, we've been a part of this journey. And this week on Tuesday, they gave birth to twin girls, and it was a miracle. And I'm telling you what, the joy, when you've been in the pit in prayer, the joy is so sweet. You know, to be able to celebrate, to be a part of that. And don't rob people in your life from the opportunity to be a part of whatever you're going through with you. Get a tribe. Don't do it alone. Who's your tribe? Some of you, you know, Seacoast, that's why we do small groups. That's, we are a church of small groups. Small groups are one of the most important things that we do. And maybe you're new, you've been coming for a while. Maybe you're part of a tribe that, that would laugh at you for asking for prayer. I want to encourage you to get plugged into a group. You know, maybe fill out your connect card and just say, hey, I'd like, I'd like information about a small group or hang out in the breezeway at whatever campus you're in and, and, and then ask somebody, how do I get connected to a small group? Get a tribe. It's always awkward, and I promise you, it doesn't come natural for me to ask for help, ask somebody to pray, but we gotta get past ourselves, get over ourselves, and, and include the tribe in whatever we're facing. So, Daniel, when the pressure rose, he kept us cool. He trusted God with the source of his pressure, and he, and he included his, his tribe. But the last thing I think is probably the most important, and it's we have to keep our focus on what will last. Keep my focus on what will last. Honestly, I was going to skip this part because this is the dream. And when I read through the Bible, you you read certain parts and it's like, man, I don't really understand what's going on there. But I began to study this dream a couple of weeks ago. Felt like God said, this is for Seacos. This is for us. This is for our culture today. And so I just want to show you uh, what Daniel, he, he, he told him what the dream was and then he interpreted it. And let's see what we can learn in this last point. It starts in verse 29. Daniel comes and he says, while your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what's going to happen. And it's not because I'm wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. So he tells him, you you dreamed about something that's going to happen in the future. He says, in your vision, your majesty, notice the tact that he's using in talking to the king. He's getting ready to deliver some hard news, but he does it in an honoring way. He says, in your vision, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of that statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, and its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace. Gone. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. It says that's a dream. You dreamed about a statue. It was frightening. It was big. It was powerful. And, and a rock came and struck that statue, and it, it wiped it out, and it's gone. It's no wonder the king was a little troubled by it. And so Daniel begins to tell him what it means. In verse 37, he says, Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, honor. He's made you the ruler over all of the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You demand. You are the head of gold. He says, But after your kingdom comes to an end, Another kingdom inferior to yours is going to rise to take your place. 
And after that kingdom comes, a third one who will be inferior as well will rise, and then a fourth will come after that. And about that fourth one, he says, uh, the fourth one is strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes that you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Verse 44, during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut out from the mountain, though not by human hands that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. And he drops the mic and walks off. <laughs> kind of a crazy deal. I mean, he, he, he tells him, here, here's the deal. You had a dream, and it's a statue. And we've got a picture kind of of what that might have looked like. The statue's got a gold head and silver chest and bronze waist and iron legs. And then it's got feet that are made of clay and iron. And it represents power. It represents strength, honor, titles, labels, empires. It says these things are going to be struck by a rock that's going to be cut out from a mountain, not by human hands. This is a rock that's established by God, and it's going to strike the feet of that statue, and it's all going to go away. And, and, and Daniel wrote this, or he, he, he gave this, you know, in 600 B.C. He couldn't have known what the future would hold. He just had a divinely inspired Vision. Let me show you what the history books will, will, will tell you about this. Is that, you know, he told us the Babylonian Empire represents that gold head that was King Nebuchadnezzar. And then after him was a Persian Empire uh, that, that followed. That was King Cyrus. We actually read about him last week. Daniel actually had influence over both of those empires. But following the Persian Empire, you may remember from your history books the Greek Empire. Alexander the Great, right? This incredible leader who ruled. And then after the Greek Empire was the Roman Empire in 27 BC. And this was the empire that uh, was made of iron that ultimately took over everything. I mean, they, 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 they took everybody captive. They, they, they ruled with an iron fist. And you may remember around this time of the Roman Empire, Caesar, Augustus, Herod, there was a baby born and his name was Jesus. He was not born of human hands. He was born of divine uh, inspiration, and, and Jesus, the rock, began to talk about this kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And, and Jesus would end up establishing a new kingdom that would ultimately last forever, that would become a mountain that we're now a part of today as Christ followers. We would call Jesus the rock of ages representing the, the rock that would last forever, the cornerstone upon which all other stones are built. Daniel didn't know it at the time, but he was describing Jesus. He was describing a, a, a new kingdom that would come and would be established. If you study the fall of the Roman Empire, and, and you can study it in Scripture, but you can, you can study it on Wikipedia, what it'll tell you is the Roman Empire fell because of a divided kingdom, and because of the rise of Christianity in about 300 AD. Daniel's vision was divinely inspired, and, and I think that's important for a couple of reasons. One is that we're going to study the end of this book 
later on, and, and it, it talks about some things that are relevant to us today. Daniel had vision, divinely inspired vision that I think speaks to where we are right now. But, but the big thing for me today, as we kind of close our time together, is I think we all have a choice. We can place our roots, our hope, our anchor, our foundation in the statue, the things that are temporary, politics, our country even. And, and let me tell you, I love our country. I think God's called us to be involved in our country. I think we should be concerned for our country. I'm concerned for what my kids are going to inherit, what they're going to step into, all that. I, I, I'm not burying my head in the sand, but, but newsflash, it's all going to go away. Maybe not in our lifetime, but it's temporary. Every empire is. And as much as I love our country, I want to raise my kids to be about another kingdom, to be about a kingdom that's going to last. And I want to dig my roots. I want to place the anchor of my hope in this. When all other things are kind of going crazy, you know, let's be anchored in what's going to last. The Bible talks about, in Hebrews, about a shaking that God's going to do during our time where all the things that are temporary are going to fall away. I've got it on, on the outline sheet. Hebrews chapter 12 says, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. And this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And y'all, I, I don't mean to sensationalize it. We, we ask the question, are we living in the end times? And, and none of us know the time or date. That's not really for us. But I think if you study scriptures and you look at what's going on around us, it's a pretty good indicator that we may be, whether that's in my lifetime, whether that's in a, my kid's lifetime, I have no idea. But really the question for us is what are we building our roots in? What are we anchored in? Is it in the statue? Is it in your title, your, your, your bank statement, your income, your failures, your successes? All these are things that are gonna go away someday. Your own abilities to get through whatever you're going through. As there's a shaking that happens, those things are going to fall away. And I don't want us to be a church that's clinging on for dear life for stuff that's going to fade away. I want to be a person and I want us to be a church that is anchored in the rock. And that when the world looks around and, and in light of things that are shaking and changing and going on and trouble, they're going to see a church. They're going to see a people that are established, they're rooted, that are stable in a rock. You know where true peace comes from? It comes from the rock comes from being anchored in Christ. It's the only way that you can have true peace in times like this. If you want to know, uh, Jesus turned all the rules upside down. He established a kingdom, not forcefully by power, but in love and in grace, where he said the most important thing to do is love God and love each other. Let's be rooted in that kingdom. Let's live our lives out of the principles that flow from that kingdom. Let's be a church that's established in that and, and not in stuff that's going to eventually fade away. So, want to deal with pressure, if we want to be a church of people that are handling it in a godly way, anchor yourselves in what will last. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that a, that a dream that a king had thousands of years ago could be so relevant to us today, God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just speak in this place to each and every one of us. Lord, some of us, we've just been holding on. We've been, Lord, stressing over 
temporary things, God. And it's not that they're not important and it's not that we bury our head in the sand, but God, we wanna be a people who are about what you're about. And I thank you, Lord, that you've established a kingdom that would never, never end. I thank you, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to live and to model and to die and then to overcome death. Lord, as a sign that this kingdom is gonna last forever. You're still expanding that kingdom today, God. Even today, during our time together, you may be here today, you may be like, man, I wanna be a part of that kingdom. I, I've been anchored in what's temporary. I've been, I've been holding on to things that are, 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 are not gonna last. And today I wanna make a decision to, to be rooted in, in the kingdom that will last forever. If that's you, I just wanna encourage you to whisper a prayer. Jesus, I put my trust in you. Jesus, I put my hope in you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for what you did by going to the, the cross, dying and raising again for my sin. I wanna anchor myself in that. And it's as simple as putting our trust in him and then getting into a habit of putting our trust in him again and again. So God, we thank you for what you're doing among us. We just give you the rest of our time in Jesus' name, amen.